0: How confident are you that you're spending your marketing budget the right way? How well do you understand how your customers make decisions? What triggers them to act? What makes them trust you and choose to work with you in the end? Um, are you confident that you understand their behaviors and what really drove them to buy? Or are you just collecting opinions? Hi everyone, I'm Elena, host of the Value-Driven Marketing Podcast, and in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Ryan Paul Gibson about running customer research interviews that don't suck and how to use the insights to do better marketing. If you want to know more about my guest, Ryan has over 20 years of experience in marketing, branding, and communications, and has worked with over 100 businesses of all shapes and sizes Throughout his career, uh, he spent three years working for CBC as a TV and radio reporter and has produced short films and documentaries. Ryan is passionate about customer research, content thought leadership, and brand story. Uh, you can find Ryan, Ryan over on LinkedIn or on his uh, website, contentlift.io, where he shares uh, marketing tips, real case studies, and insights. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Ryan shares some um, in-depth uh, tips and ideas on how to organize your um customer interviews, um, and how to find uh, really valuable insights and why eventually it's important to spend the time in knowing your customers. So hope you enjoyed this episode and catch you on the next one. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the Value Driven Marketing Podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's morning for me. So I just sort of got my coffee, got my kids sorted. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm, having a, I'm having a good morning. How about you?
0: Okay, so you had a good start. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to some uh, vacation, but I'm also very excited about our episode because there are so many questions that I want to go into. uh, So super excited for today. But before we jump in, um, there is one question that I like to ask every um, podcast guest because I'm very curious to know what was their dream job. So what was your dream job when you were a child? What did little Riley want to become?
1: Man not marketer. I uh <laughs> I actually probably I wanted to probably be an enter- like entertaining so like acting and dancing to be honest. Oh wow. <laughs> and if I could rewind the clock I probably would still do that. Um Ooh. but um I and I've done a little bit here and there as like an amateur like throughout my career. <laughs> but uh, really? yeah, that was probably where I wanted to go and then end up actually working going to the business side, which is great. I still love what I do but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's that was that was what i wanted to do who knows maybe it's not too late (laughs) for me
0: yeah it's never too late and to be honest i never had one podcast guest say to me i wanted to become a marketer so (laughs) i'm still waiting for that response
1: there'll be one someday there'll be one
0: i guess so i guess so nice nice to hear that uh so can we go back and could you let us know how did you get into investigative um customer research because you have quite an interesting career path so how did you um get into customer research in the first place
1: yeah it, it started for me a while ago but i didn't go full in until probably about a year and a half ago so just to sort of Give context around that. I I've been mm-hmm. in B two B for almost two decades now, and I started working for a chain of coffee shops. Up I'm in I mean, Canada, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was their director of operations, but I also did marketing. I wore two hats, and in in that world, um, most of your marketing that's actually B two C focused in many mm-hmm. ways because you're trying to understand the consumer and their preferences for how they buy products, right? Uh, research, customer research or consumer research, sometimes what they call it in that world, is like a big piece, and it's very expensive to do.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: were a small, scrappy chain of <laughs> restaurants. We didn't have, we had like no money, so I went and did them myself, and that's how sure. really how I started. So I'd go and do, um, you know, surveys of customers. I do person on the street interviews, is what they call them. So when you're like in the environment, I do observational work. So I'd okay. sit down and watch how. People buy and how the the queue would move, and then I'd even go into the lines of competitors. And I'd start talking to their customers, and I pretend <laughs> I was a customer, and people thought I was crazy. But I just needed to understand why they were choosing the places they were. Why are they choosing to spend a money here, but not here? And that was the really the catalyst. And I just carried that throughout my career. And but I think where I really got strong at it was I actually, I took a detour from marketing. I became a reporter for three years Mm -hmm. Um, uh, because I thought maybe I'll make a change and I'll try this and it was great I ended up going back to marketing because I I enjoyed that much more but it was a great place to learn the art of investigative interviews uh, because I did do some of that work and it's different than how a marketer might talk to someone about if they're gathering content ideas or copy ideas or just trying to understand some basics about the customer for a case study
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're
1: similar but there's a very difference in the rigor and how you approach it, because what I, I don't necessarily care about uh, their opinion around the product. I'm trying to understand the sequ- sequence of events that occurred within a certain part of how they use a the product or how they bought the product, right? With as little bias as possible, and that's a lot of what reporters do. Even lawyers or detectives will tell you it's a very similar process. So I carry that through my marketing career, and that's all I did. So either when when I was running marketing teams or now. As content, before I do it for other companies, that's all I do. All I do is I use uh, interviews, for what they call primary customer research. That's a long answer, but it gives, I think it gives you a sense of like how I got here.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you you mentioned there's a difference in rigor. You know, when you're talking to yeah. a client just to find out what sort of content they they would need, and when you're talking to a client to identify behaviors and what. Triggers Mm -hmm. them to buy. So, can you detail a bit more on that?
1: Yeah, like like I said, it's similar, right? Mm -hmm. But for what I I think, maybe even to take a a step before that, there's different types of research um, interviews or research objectives. Sometimes it's you know churn if someone's left you. If you're a software company and even monthly subscription, it could be a win loss interview. It could be a UI UX. You know how they use the product. There's all sorts of Things you're trying to understand. What I care about, uh, or what I primarily focus on, is research for marketing, specifically up just until the sale closes. I don't necessarily care about um, what happens after they become a customer. It's still important, but it's not my focus.
2: Mm-hmm, so,
1: mm-hmm. how I go through that is I just try to find the steps and actions they took from them identifying, "Ooh, this this is a problem. This thing's no good," <laughs> right? Like within the business, there's something that's happening that's causing them not to meet their goals or some type of friction. And then what was the entire process they went through until they actually decide, okay, here's, here's my credit card or, you know, here, you're it. You're the vendor of choice and let's get going. Sometimes that's weeks. Sometimes that's months. I've seen it as long as two or three years. Well, What's mm -hmm. happening in that part. Right. And asking them, you know, um, to sort of talk about their opinions through that process don't really help you uh, because one, they might not remember everything. Two, mm-hmm. they might not give you exactly everything you need. What I care about more is uncovering all the steps that happen. And there's a way to do that uh, when you're interviewing people that rather than just ask them directly, because that's what we often do, especially product marketing managers. Sometimes we talk about like, why did you buy it? Oh, we needed that tool. Great. Check, check the mm-hmm. list. That's well, not necessarily why they bought it. What was happening in their business? There's all sorts of things that are happening. And that is where marketing starts to live and breathe. So I hope that answered the question.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. And it actually brings me to another question. Uh, I just want to give some uh, more context so you have your website yeah. and you have a very um extensive case study in there which yeah. i want to say i think that's what good content marketing should be like because <laughs> i was really i was reading it and it was very easy to read it was a pleasant experience and you detailed well, thank you. everything that you did and i didn't feel for a second that you were trying to sell anything or that you had like a hidden agenda so that was amazing and i do want to quote you you say there I try not to gather personal opinions, but behaviors, um, yeah. and I want to understand actions buyers took from identifying a pro- problem right to the actual purchase. So, how do you make the difference between uh, opinions and behaviors? How do you, you know, pinpoint which is which?
1: Yeah. So, let me give you an example of how I might do this. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I if I um, if I'm talking to you, and say you're a buyer for the first time, what I will do is a few things. So the first one is I will ask you, okay, I don't want to start when we um, uh, when you bought the thing, right, or that sales conversation. I want to start a conversation way back in the past, wherever that was, to when you first identified there was an issue. Mm-hmm. And um, I mentioned that just a few minutes ago. And then what I'll do is they'll say, okay. Um, so walk me through what was happening in the business. or walk me through what you found, like what was the triggering catalyst there? So they might explain, oh, you know, we were running at it. Let's take a CRM, like, you know, HubSpot or Salesforce or Pipedrive. They might say, oh, we're using spreadsheets Mm
2: -hmm. to manage all
1: our contacts. Oh, it was, and we were up to like 400, 500 customers. It was, it was just, it'd become a nightmare. So we needed to find something great. What did you do next when you found that problem? You said you had that thought. You talked to some like, did you talk to someone on the team? Did you research? Like, what was the next action you took? And are like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I talked to our uh, sales VP, and I explained to them what we need to do or what the challenge is. Great. What did you do next? And I just started to take them through that uh, sequence of events, and it sounds almost like trite or silly. But when I, I just want to find that path they took, sometimes mm-hmm. customer success people will call this a path to purchase. Like, mm-hmm. what were the steps they took? And then, what I also do is I'll mark the timeline. So, if they say, Oh, yeah, we were using the spreadsheets to manage all our contacts. Great. When was this? Oh, this was uh, 2019 October. Great. And then we start going through the timeline. And then they make it to another, um, make it to like a significant event. And they'll say, You know what? I went to this. Um, um, online thing. It was sponsored by Pipe drive I'm Giving them this little shout here. I don't even use them. But it's like, <laughs> and then I went and googled them and started looking through their case studies. Great. When was that? Well, that was March of twenty twenty. Okay, great. Why did it take you so long to look for some a solution? What was happening?
2: Because mm-hmm. that's
1: like a few months before they even start looking for something, you know, aggressively, yeah. or they find something they like. Why didn't you find anything you liked in between that? What was happening? Right, so those are the things I want to understand. Because we don't just wake up and buy a thing and be 2 b There's like a sequence mm-hmm. of events or tipping of the scales or there's all these things that impacted the decision way before they even reach out to a sales team or look at a website or ask for a demo or what have you. That's what I mean by I don't care about, did you like it? You know, how did it help? <laughs> I don't care about that. I want them to explain to me their business model and their problems and then how they went about finding the solution. That's the distinction for me you okay. know, between opinions and actions.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very clear. Like, yeah, sounds super, super interesting. And it sounds like there's an entire process that goes into preparing for a customer interview. So could you, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> could you try and outline, let's say, what is your process for preparing such an interview with a customer?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not as in-depth. Like, I sort of reacted like it's this huge, huge thing. It's more just you, the work is understanding with your team what you want to know.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: There's you are going to be talking to someone. If say use an interview as part of your, your research foundation, because there's other things you're going to do, like there's your, your surveys for scale. You know your CR, CRM will have great data, right? Like there's also things you're going to put together as a holistic puzzle. But interviews are a great foundational piece, in my humble opinion. So say you're going to go out and do that. Well you want to talk with the team about like what's important to know at this point for the business or what based on what we want to achieve.
2: Because mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. if you only talk with someone for 45 minutes, maybe maybe an hour, I usually say I recommend half an hour to 45 minutes. That goes by so fast. <laughs> like you would understand it, Elena, because you talk to people in the context of what you're talking right now, which is you know, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes, goes fast. It if does. you've never done this work before, you don't you don't realize how fast it goes. And people humans, meander with their answers. They go all over the place. And not because they're not trying to be helpful. They think they're being helpful because of that. (laughs) So I want, what I try to do is I try to get the objectives of the conversation as fine-tuned as possible, right? Very pinpoint. Because then I can actually drill down into one piece. Because you could spend half an hour, 40 minutes just talking on a sales call. analyzing a sales call or a sales motion, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. what did we do well in that sales call? What sales is the process? What did we not do well? What are we missing? What do we have? Like you can go, one conversation can spend that whole time. But there's so many other things that we, um, how I many? there's so many ways we interact with customers and buyers. So that's the big part. What do you want to know? And then I prep out my questions and my line of questioning, and then I'll go do some research on the company and the person I'm going to be interviewing once I, once a day get booked cuz sometimes it can take um that's always the longest part is actually finding people to talk to okay. especially in like <laughs> summer right now right like it's always hard so once i get someone i'll go in I'll read about their position I'll look at their history finding any public anything public i can find about them about how they approach their work I'll read that okay and then that's what preps me for the interview yeah
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember you mentioning that you would prefer to have like a list of questions, but wouldn't necessarily want to stick to it. Uh. I hope yeah, I'm saying that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like I say, theme, question. I say themes and topics over questions. Okay. And the reason I say that is, and if you ask any reporter, they'll tell you the same thing. Most often is that if you say I have a list of like thirty questions, which sometimes people have. Hmm. Hmm. What can happen with me as the interviewer is I'm focused on asking the next question yeah. in the sequence of which I put those questions. And then I'm not act- actively listening to what the person is saying. Mm-hmm. And I miss opportunities for follow-ups or interesting insights I, I haven't heard yet that I want to dig into. I'd re- I, what I am doing is I'm boxing myself in. I'm having tunnel vision. And I did that. <laughs> for like as a, as a reporter, right? I'm, I have my microphone out, I'm reading a list of questions and it wasn't until I get back and I listened to the tape uh, in the studio and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I totally missed, they <laughs> said that. That would have been great to talk about, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like having, that's why I say objectives are so key and it takes time to set those because then my questions come out of those.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm very precise in my line of questioning. If I don't have a ton of them, because then I can actually listen to what's being discussed and I can actually pivot if I need to. And so that's a little, I hope that makes sense. It's a little abstract for some people, but I mean, um, if it's your first time I say, don't, don't try and not have questions or maybe that approach always have them listed as a guide. But as you get better at this, um, you'll find you actually need less questions to actually guide a discussion. If you know what research objectives you have.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. For me, it sounds very, very logical. I actually, prefer to be so organized and go into detail but i do realize yeah. that uh this approach actually um puts you on a path where you your main goal is to ask the questions and you don't have the yeah. mental space to actually uh you know take in what they're saying and figure out what yeah. else you can um you can ask. absolutely so yeah makes.
1: i will say this though again if it is also your first time and you're concerned about that sometimes having the questions and just having maybe six and you ask all the interviews the same questions, it gives you better statistical relevancy oh, in mm-hmm, some ways. Mm-hmm. Because then you can say, you know, I, I know how to navigate a discussion into a certain framework, right? And guide someone. But if you've never done it and you're worried about not getting, you know, similar insights or finding a pattern of insights, because that's what we're doing at the end of the day, we're aggregating all of the interviews mm-hmm. to find the, the themes and the trends. Then you can ask the same questions to the same people. And you'll just, by nature, get similar answers that you can go back and look at. So it it's, it all depends on your comfort level, to be honest, right? But I always say, people, careful about, you know, active listening is the hardest part of this, is one of the hardest parts of interviewing a person, It's actually hearing what they're saying, which sounds crazy, <laughs> but it is the hardest part.
0: Who from the business would you talk to to identify um, the areas that you want yeah. to cover?
1: Yeah. Again, it depends on what you want to know first, mm-hmm. right? So if it's, if I want to um, do a product interview and what I mean by that is I want to understand how they're using the product, how are they using the features, what's working for them, what's not, then I want to interview the user. Right.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, but if I want to understand maybe that initial, how the, how we, someone became aware of the product how they built affinity for our solution, what caused them to trust us to spend time evaluating us. Like those are, that's where marketing lives. Then I might want to talk to someone different. I might want to talk to, sometimes I call it the champion, right? In a B2B setting or the person who just identified it, you know, and sometimes for some products that could be, there could be three or four people involved in the deal. For some products these days, you know, if it's something very small, it's self install and it's, it's a low average contract value and whatever, you know, $40 a month. That could be one person that's finding it, mm-hmm. installing it, and using it. Right. So it's just, it's all relative to what you want to know. And then from there, that's, I just try and go and find that person in the company. Sometimes we might have never talked to them. I've had, I've done research projects where the buyer, um, sort of the user of the product, was never involved once in this sales process, like in the buying oh never the first time they ever saw it was after the company bought it, they dropped it on their desk, said Good luck, and they walked away. That person had no input into the process of them buying that thing mm-hmm. and now they have to use it so you've never talked to this person or this company had never rarely talked to their users, so you know it it you have to understand what do I want to know, and that defines who I go and talk to
2: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
0: Um and you, you spoke about the length of the interview like the ideal length um would you say there's an a uh, sweet spot for how many interviews you should have just to be able to kind of uncover some uh trends some patterns
1: Yeah It's funny I actually posted about this a few weeks ago <laughs> cuz I was I was curious to understand if people had done research on sample sizes Okay and they had Cuz what I do is something called primary qualitative research That's what they call in like, academic circles or academia. Mm -hmm. So there's a few studies that were done to say, what is, like, the best number of people to talk to? And on average, it's usually between 12 and 15 for one research objective, right? Or sort of, which doesn't sound like a lot. But what happens is, um, if anyone knows, like, statistical modeling and, like, bell curves and how they're used, like, once you'll start to collect a significant number of insights after about 10 to 12 interviews. And then after about that 12th to 15th interview, the amount of new things you're learning drop off dramatically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in essence, you're just hearing the same things over and over again. It might be different words. The subtext might be different. Like they might describe the nuance of the thing differently, but at its heart, you're saying the same thing. So that is sort of the sweet spot is that 12 to 15 where you're just not learning anything new and that's where some people struggle with it because they think well if you only talk to 12 to 15 customers but i have thousands of customers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how can i possibly find insights well that's comes to understanding like how do you start start it off right if i because you asked like who do you interview well you want to interview first you set your research objective. research And then you figure out, okay, which of my segments do I want to talk to and who's the person I'm trying to compare as apples to apples as possible Mm -hmm. and get that done ahead of time rather than just like randomly finding people to talk to because a startup, let's just say it's a director of marketing at a startup versus a director of marketing at a 2000 person company. And one saw the startup software and the the 2000 person company is like construction, their jobs are probably very different, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? As directors of marketing. So you want to compare apples to apples as best as possible, right? So 12 to 15 is great. Even for some things that are very simple by nature, in the, either by the product or service, like the buying cycles are short, the product's not complex, you probably get to even get away with 8 to 12. So it's all a matter of the rule of thumb is once you start seeing the same thing, hearing the same answers mm-hmm. over and over again, you're probably done.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good rule. I, I mean, it can things can differ from business to business but i think that's a that's a good rule to to live by and i think 12 to 15 actually sounds like a lot like marketers that i'm talking to sometimes they would be speaking to one or two customers because what i hear and i i'm not sure if this is your experience but what i'm hearing is oh but we know our clients very well we listen into sales calls uh why should yeah. we go one step further yeah. And maybe I'm curious to learn what would you say to to marketers who feel that they know their customers really well and they don't need to to talk to them anymore because you know they're listening to sales calls or they can go online and maybe I don't know follow people on LinkedIn or see activity on Quora or on Reddit. What would you say to them?
1: I think they know part of it, but I think they're wrong if they think they know all of it.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the reason I say that is. Let's just start with the sales calls.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So think of how, is, how a buying journey works. Sales is the end yeah. of, that, of that relationship, right? I mentioned before, sometimes I've talked to people that it's been their buying process or they are product aware of something so, or solution aware of something they wanted for three years until they bought.
0: That's a long time. Right? Like that's
1: a long time. Why? You're not going to find out why that person waited three years on, through Google. Right, this is not going to happen now. Um, and also when you're, <clears throat> what you're referring to is like secondary qualitative research. When you go into like, you know, social media, private communities, forums, and your reviews, all that stuff's really good. Don't get me wrong. That stuff's great. And it's a good place to start, mm-hmm. but you still won't understand necessarily from sales calls, which is just sort of that end part. Then there's like so much happening, um, you know, especially because a sales call is about trying to get a deal. Mm done. It's not really about understanding marketing nuances because a salesperson is not a marketer. So they're not going to ask questions that will help inform a market, go to market strategy. They might ask one or two, but a marketer will be able to dig deeper there. So that sales call is limited in what you're going to understand. And that periphery of the internet is also very limited because it's just a quick snapshot. You won't understand why, like what's motivating mm. them, what's driving the decision process. How did they interact with other people in the the company? How did they, like, what made them trust us, right? Who else is on their short list? Who else did they look at? Why did they not choose them? Like, there's all these things that you need to understand as a marketer about how they make decisions. Mm -hmm. Because your job as a marketer is to influence those decisions. If you don't understand how they're systematically going through that entire process and choosing things, you're going to have a hard time effectively spending your marketing budget to influence them. That's what I tell marketers. And as soon as I if I talk to executives, I say, you know, this is one of the best ways to make sure you're not wasting your marketing budget. Their ears perk up because marketing isn't just headcount. A lot of marketing budget is in addition to right. Usually they get an extra ten to fifty percent of depending on the company of the actual budget. Sometimes thirty to forty percent depending on where they are in their cycle of growth. Right. So if you're spending marketing spending thirty to forty percent of the company's money. (laughs) And they've never once talked to a customer. That's that's pretty scary <laughs> to me. So, those are the reasons why I would recommend it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I actually remember one of your uh, LinkedIn posts where you said that most marketers spend their budget uh, <clears throat> on where people or after people have become aware of their problem. Um, and very few companies and marketers yeah, yeah, absolutely. spend money on making people become aware. Yeah, yeah. And I think
1: they do. And that's normal. Like, honestly, if that happens, most companies, when they start, that's what they mm-hmm. do. Cause they capture, um, you know, that performance marketing or, you know, buyers that is intrinsically understand what the product is, or there's that high need for it. It's easy to sort of capture that market share quickly for most things, right? If you have a good product, but once you start to sort of grow outside mm-hmm. that and you're trying to convince people that then, are maybe evaluating you over other things. That's where it gets a little trickier, right? Because that's just not you're no longer just doing like, you know, uh, landing pages with high converting copy and the odd case study. You have to become make them aware of your existence mm-hmm. and then stay top of mind until they're ready to buy. That's a totally different approach in marketing. And if you don't understand like what they care about at that part of the equation. You're going to really have a really hard time getting new business in mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because that's what happens at the end of the day. We, we, we we discover things, they stick in our minds. And when the time comes, we're like, I think that's the thing. Let's go look at that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. That's it in a nutshell. I no, mean, there's a ton there's, I'm being very, like, you know, sort of cheeky about it, but that's really how it works, how it unfolds. So you have to understand what that process is. So you can influence
0: it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think just uncovering motivation is so difficult and it's so <clears> subtle, <throat> but so important because if you don't know why people are buying, how are you going to be relevant for them and just yeah. stay top of mind? Okay, so it's important to identify what you want to hear from the what you want to uncover from the customer research. Uh, you go speak to clients, prepare your interview. Yep. What, how can you use the outputs of, um, the customer, uh, research?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, so you mentioned my case study to plug myself, but that was really fun because, um, the company you you're speaking about is going to be called mm-hmm. Rewind, they're a SaaS company where I am in Canada. They've done really well for themselves and they built the business off Shopify's, uh, marketplace and, and built a really successful business. They then uh, what they do, just so everyone understands, is they build uh, backup and recovery software for other softwares like Shopify, or um, you know G- um, QuickBooks and GitHub, Jira, Confluence, all these other mm-hmm, tools. Mm-hmm. So they had instead of what they had done is they had acquired the GitHub solution, and as which is in their backup and recovery piece of software, and the logic is okay, we have a sales and marketing team, this thing fits. Does the exact same thing as other stuff. Should fit nicely into our product portfolio. Let's build a landing page and go to market. <laughs> and Simple. The sales it just not meet the meet the forecasts. Yeah, right. And so I uh, got tapped with the product marketing manager who had never done any um, interviews. They'd only listened to sales calls their whole career. And we went and started talking to customers. And there's a lot of we. There's a lot we had right. There's a ton we had wrong. Right. And just small things. We didn't really have the buyer correct. The problem we didn't really necessarily have correct. How they were trying to solve the problem without us, we didn't necessarily have correct, right? Those are all integral things to know. So when you ask like, what can you do? Well, what we found was there was a big piece of the buying journey that was happening that we weren't talking about. And that was, uh, people were trying to build their own version of the Rewind's GitHub software, right? Because a lot of them were developers. And that's very standard in that mm-hmm. community. The challenge is, that the way that the software works, they were always going to fail at what they wanted to do because of this the nuances of how the technology works together. And that's what we saw in the forums. What we didn't know was the extent of which people were trying to do that. We're talking like 60% of them were trying to build a oh, wow. thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So if you go look at the case study, we d- what Rewind had, which is what a lot of early stage companies have, they just talk about the features and here's a product and here's what it does. Rather than like, Here's where you get to, or here's what we, we help you not have to do. So that's what we did. We said, stop writing your own stuff because it's going to not work, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we did in the landing page. We did some ads like that, and installs doubled. Wow. As soon as we changed all the copy, within uh, the first week of us changing the copy, they started the install started to take off. Small things like that. So when you ask how do you use it, that's a perfect example where you understand you have some things wrong about the buying process so you can go and fix them with the language of the customers because they're telling you what's wrong mm-hmm. with it. You just have to figure out how to get mm-hmm, it better. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, super interesting and amazing results uh you you achieve with this with this customer. Uh, and I think there's a lot of power in you don't know what you yeah, don't it, know. I think that's the <laughs> that sums it up for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay so uh I'm also curious to know what would you advise a marketer or a marketing leader who is trying to uh you know gather the arguments um to convince you know leadership to get some budget for running customer uh research oh, yeah.
1: That's such a tough mm-hmm. one I'm not the only researcher that's I know gets that question I know people struggle with it um that's why i talk about budget now more than anything okay how do you know what you're spending money not money on is working or how do you know that's what you should be spending your money on that's really it at the end of the day you know and we do that with other disciplines right before we build a product or we launch a new service we go and we investigate mm-hmm. would people use this would this make sense does a national solve a problem? At least good companies use. There's still people that just build things and ship them. <laughs> um, but you know, that's a go-to-market strategy is all-encompassing. And I think sometimes we forget this is just me. You know, I came up the business development side, and to me, marketing and business development are synonymous. Mm-hmm. It's not the creative side of things and the execution around performance marketing is just a part is just a part, a subset of marketing, which is you know, how to influence a market,
2: Mm.
1: you know, that's what marketing is, which is part of business development. Like how are we going to get into a market and win and compete and just throwing up landing pages and (laughs) random copy and stuff that your competitors are doing is not going to work in the long run. So if you want to, that's what I usually say to people, go ask your executives that either want to audit that you're spending your budget effectively, or you feel like we don't have a good strategy, uh, to know that we're spending that money effectively. That's where I would start Mm because as soon as they hear money Mm. and budget, and not effective, (laughs) that's where I think the conversations change. It's still tough because some companies don't want to hand over the reins to marketers to talk to customers. And I understand because they're worried about, you know, what the, like bugging customers or too many people reaching out Mm. or if there was, they had a bad experience, they're up for renewal. There's all these things that we, reasons and rationales we give. Sure totally get it. But sales doesn't own the customer. There's customer success. It's they're the customers of the entire business of everyone who works there. So, you know, I think we sh- we can come <laughs> together and decide or at least to have a conversation about like if marketers want to talk to customers, how can we go about it and helping them win? Because at the end of the day, that's you're helping the business win. Anyway. That's my soapbox moment. I hope that answers the question.
0: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And I think you you made like a very good point that sometimes uh, salespeople <coughs> or, you know, just client facing tend to be protective of the client. And I've seen this, I tend to work with services companies where, you know, uh, sales is a very important function function, and they tend to protect the client. Like, oh, we don't want to bother the client uh, by, you know, asking them different things. Yeah. And I think that's an... um. As a marketer, yep. that's a big challenge to overcome. Like having the credibility that you are going to add value and you're not going to waste the client's time. So that's uh that's an uh, to me it's an interesting yeah. challenge and a big problem to solve.
1: Here's the thing, though, too, if I may. Usually, when I talk to customers, because I will like my thing is I talk to customers for the company, so that's a whole <laughs> other leap of faith, yeah. right? that's all I do now. And most of the time customers are over the moon that they're being asked oh, their opinion. Okay. They love it. And it, I've, I've, I haven't run a research project yet where at least one person hasn't said when I asked a lot of times, I'll ask a question, what made, what made you trust this company? I've said that a few times when, as we've chatted, mm-hmm. right? Like to, that's a big one. And sometimes I'll say, Oh, this makes, this helps me earn their trust. This is great. <laughs> this whole process, you're asking me like, my thoughts about the company. It's great. That alone um, builds, you know, some type of, um, you know, that deepens and strengthens the relationship with the people you're, that rely on you for your product or service, right? Because it shows that you value mm. what they do and you value um, having them around, right? Because at the end of the day, businesses are still service businesses. Even if you have a product, there's still a yeah. service element there, right? So it's, that, I find, is re- helps solidify that relationship a little more. Anyway, that's one more thing I'll say. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. Absolutely. makes total sense to me. Um, and if we were to wrap up, what would you say are um, some of the mistakes that you would advise a marketer to try and stay away from uh, if they're running customer research and customer interviews on their own? Yeah. <laughs> Easy one.
1: So like I said, just don't open up Zoom or, (laughs) yeah, don't don't open up Zoom and start talking or Google Meets, Mm -hmm. whatever, because it's just going to be a conversation that goes all over the place. You might learn some stuff, but you won't. Remember, research is different than me just having a casual conversation to get Mm -hmm. some ideas. I need like a process to sort of, you know, encapsulate all the the findings and insights and themes and trends that that I find. So, you know, have a plan, have some objectives, you know, have um uh, something you want to get out of it. Um always mm. record the interview. Again, sounds silly, but I've seen product marketing managers walk away from an hour conversation with like four sentences scribbled on a piece of paper. Because they're expecting they're gonna remember everything. And you are not going to. It's, it's it's impossible. Your brain cannot handle the cognitive load of doing that. So I record everything. Um and then um, one thing I like to do after the fact is I actually go back and reread and re-listen everything. I have everything transcribed a hundred percent and then I reread the transcript as I'm listening back to the interview, which is a lot. It's a, a lot of work, but that is where you really start to absorb, you know, what people are saying to you and you're starting to find the patterns and themes about like, what's coming up in the research that's really going to help you so those are some of the things i'll ask i'll say there's more i'm probably forgetting but those are the ones that
2: come mm-hmm, up mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes total sense like very good insights here so do record and listen uh because when you're in the moment for sure some things you might miss but if you're re-listening um yeah you know new ideas might emerge
1: and you're going to get better mm-hmm. as you do more right <laughs> Podcasters are interesting, <laughs> uh, Yeah, bunch because when you talk to them about their first one versus, like, say, yeah, they're like, "Oh, I was horrible <laughs> my first one." It's very similar, right? Like you're you're in an environment that's not necessarily natural mm-hmm. to everybody. Where I'm just constantly having a dialogue with someone that I haven't known. I'm trying to navigate them towards an objective. That's not always um, comfortable for everybody, and it doesn't feel, always feel natural. It does for me now, but I've interviewed over 600 mm. people. So, you know, I can navigate that world very confidently. It just takes a bit of practice and you'll get better. As you yeah,
0: see. absolutely agree. Ryan, this has been super insightful for me. Like I've picked up some uh, new ideas along the way and I'm sure the listeners as oh, well. Good. So thank you so much for being here today and sharing um, what you do and why B2B marketers should run um, customer research and why it's so important.
1: Well, thank you for having <laughs> thank
0: me. Thank you, Ryan. Nice chatting to you today. Super appreciated.